Hello and welcome to another episode of the PD Performance Podcast. This week's podcast is a review of the final round of the Six Nations Championship, as well as a Lions prediction. As always, I hope you enjoy it. All feedback is appreciated. Like it, share it and send it. Welcome back to another episode of the PD Performance Podcast. I am extremely excited this week because we had a fantastic festival of rugby at the weekend. Super Saturday, nothing better in the Six Nations really than three games back to back. Just sit down and enjoy what's on offer, like brilliant stuff like to watch. Terribly enjoyable. But uh, I decided this week I'm going to go in order of the games, um, considering... I can't justify talking about the Italy and Scotland game for too long because it was such a an absolute hames of a match. It was a good job we started with that one, kind of set the tone. Like there were a lot of scores in it, but realistically, like it was so one-sided that you don't even want to bother watching. It was literally, it was very difficult to watch Italy play that badly after having some promising moments over the last few weeks. Like, and then to watch that display that they gave was ridiculous really like this again like they always start promising and then just fade away and like what can be done about it like poor old Franco Smith looked like he just wanted to get out of there to be honest like head in the hands and Jesus his stress levels must be through the roof somebody want to be keeping an eye on that fella because Jesus that is a tough job like horrible horrible job to take on and like, as we said in the previous rounds, he was doing good stuff with them. Like there was promising stuff in terms of their attack and where they were going with that. And I still think that young Varney at scrum half is a decent player, even in getting a 52-10 battering and he didn't come off looking too poorly. Like that's saying something. Gabrisi didn't have as good a game as him now. He got caught out on the right for Van der Merva's first. But... Uh, I, I just reckon, like, they pull them off and put Cana on, and what do you gain by putting Cana on? Just leave him out there. Leave him try and figure it out, you know? When England went down to New Zealand back in 99 or whatever for Wilkinson's first cap, they got absolutely battered, but you can guarantee back then he would have been left out there and just try and deal with it. And you grow as a player from those types of batterings. Like, Ireland went down and got battered about 70-10 or something. When Was that when Hesop got the red card? Sonny Bill was at, at 12 and Cruden was at 10. They just absolutely made bits of us. Is that necessary to happen, I suppose? in That probably could have been one of the catalysts for us beating them down the line, you know? You can't have the wins without the losses. And the losses help you learn and help you grow, I suppose. I would have just backed the young lad, leave him out there and see how he gets on. See what his reaction would be to it mentally because he's thrown the toys out of pram a few times already in this um, tournament and let's see how he reacts to being down by 30 points or whatever and see if he's going to give up but like just some of the stuff like <laughs> the more yellow where he just decided to turn himself into a human missile and fire himself at the Scottish attack like what was that about like the ref was just like basically you're lucky you didn't hit him high because it could would have been red you didn't rap at all you just threw yourself at him there's no arguments there 
then another thing, like they scored the first try, then Scotland score and they come back up then and Italy get a penalty and they go for the post. And I know they're probably backing themselves that they're not going to concede the scores that they've been conceding in the rest of the championship. But if you're going by past history, you're probably going to concede because you your defence hasn't come on that much in a week that you're going to hold Scotland to one try. So why not just back the biggest asset and the best asset that you have and back your attack and try and outscore the opposition and kick to the corner and just put the pressure on and try and rack up a score. And I know that's not typically the way the game is played in the Northern Hemisphere, but potentially that might be something that Italy might want to do in the future, like just back their attack because, as I said, their defence is all over the place. It's a shambles. Saying that now, Scotland looked uh, dangerous all over the back line and the pack as well. They got a couple of mall tries out with Cherry and then Van der Merve went in for a couple... Graham went in, Jones went in, Steele got one, Johnson. Like, if somebody didn't get one, they were probably going to be disappointed. It was like watching one of the Premier Senior Cup schools teams go to play one of these schools that only play rugby to take the day off. Do you know what I mean? And half the lads on the field are GA players that just didn't want to go into school today. It was that bad. Like, it was just like, try, try, try. Oh, have you not scored one? Here, I'll give you the, you can score this one what the hell like um and like there was good things from scotland's attack but it can probably mainly be put down to italy's poor defense being honest saying that there's a few standouts for scotland the two centers were very good jones got a try good to see him get in and get a start again harris was on the bench they're just rotating him in and out i suppose harris is probably starting most of the games as we said because of defense but jones is just rapid like giving the ball and watch him run he usually goes under the posts. Darcy Graham got over for one. Live wire as usual. Johnson, Sam Johnson in the midfield. Now, they were talking about him potentially being a Lions bolter. Now, personally, I think the centre is too competitive a position for him to probably get in on a wild card. Given that you have Farrell as well, who's going to go regardless, covering 10 and 12. And then you, you have Henshaw in there. You could have Manitoulagi if he's fit. I don't think he will be fit, to be honest. But then you have Ringrose, Davies, North played well the weekend as well. Who else is there? Slade will definitely go. Like I think it's too stacked for him to get in, but he did have a phenomenal game and a really good championship as well. Like For his try, he was stopped a couple of metres out and there was a, a front rower on top of him and he just literally just swatted him away. He was like, get out of my way and let me score that try. Super game from himself. I think the hog experiment at 10 probably isn't something they'll go go with in the future. He's definitely a better 15 than a 10. And I think other than the Lions appearance a few years ago, like the only time he played 10 was at his club, not like his professional club, but like his local club. So I don't know if he was put in there because Russell hadn't been going well. I think Hastings is a good 10 in the future to have in there anyway. Some matches might call for to pick Hastings ahead of Russell. And Russell's inconsistency is probably what got him out of there. So... Yeah, I don't think Hogg is, really has much of a future at 10, but it was nice to see him in there, I suppose, to throw the ball around a little bit and play an expansive game, which is always good to watch Scotland play that. In the pack then, I think a few of their players put their hands up. Like, it was hard to put your hand up too much for line spots against an Italy side that were just abysmal. Um, but definitely Hamish Watson will probably go. Fagerson's in the mix, both of them. Matt Fagerson in the mix at eight, probably not going to go like if Falatau uh, Vonapola, you have Stander, you have 
Sam Simmons as well could go as a bolter. He should be playing for England, but sure, we'll get onto that later. Uh, Xander Fagerson at tight head, competitive position as well, but has a chance, I suppose. Um, and maybe Turner at hooker. And then Gray as well in the second row. So, like, decent players there. Are they going to challenge for the tournament in the next few years? Who knows, really? Van der Merve as well, actually, to be fair. He's just a unit like and he's rapid as well and great scoring record in the six nations so i'd be surprised if he doesn't get picked for the lines like there's a lot of decent wingers out there but going by form he should probably be going moving on to the game that we all want to talk about anyway ireland and england and oh you just have to be delighted for them like because they take so much shit off journalists like and it just goes to show that the rugby writers in this country, like, they're just so black and white. Like, we're never as bad as they make us out to be, and we're never as good as they make us out to be. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's the truth. Like, last few weeks, they're just saying, oh, is there anything going right with the attack? Like, oh, I can't see anything. Not nothing. We're offloading again. We're playing a little bit more risky rugby. We're backing our skills. And there's set-piece moves that are breaking through the defensive line so like that's all positive but they're either all positive or all negative and after the game they're all positive obviously because we won but it just shows that rugby fans and rugby journalists are so fickle but it was a fantastic performance like that first try of set piece I don't know who concocted that one up whether it was Paul O'Connell or Vinnie Hammond but to pull Curry out of position and Conan to go up and tap it down to Earls and then Earls just made bits of Johnny May with that left foot step and beats him for pace at the corner like and what a game he had like he's just Mr. Consistent does everything right and you're just delighted I wish that second try had a stood because that was some finish and great play from Ireland in the build up for that as well and it just shows that we can play the rugby that the journalists are telling us that we can't and you'd be delighted for everyone that's involved like the coaching staff Mike Cass, Andy Farrell uh, Paul O'Connell like all the players like because the stick they get is ridiculous and again Johnny Sexton just shows us he's Johnny Sexton like stop doubting him you know kicking everything like 20 plus points a game in a few games this championship like it's not time to get rid of him yet no matter what they say like he'll know when he's, he has to step down and trust him to make that decision you know but yeah if you look across the board like really in the Irish side like the, who played badly really like, obviously, Bundy Aki getting the red card was a bit ridiculous. Definitely, by putting Aki in there, when Ringrose is injured, you lose another playmaker because sometimes Ringrose acts as a playmaker and gets in um, as first receiver and cause plays and that. But against England, I suppose, they wanted two big centres and they wanted to just shut them down in midfield. And the two lads did that, like, especially Henshaw. Aki's hit on Vonapola, he never dips. There was literally no argument to be made. That's a red card. And he does it at times. And it's because he's trying to make that big hit. And that's his game, I suppose. He's trying to make the dominant tackle. But he just gets it wrong at times. And we all do. It always is going to look worse in slow-mo as well. But you've got to dip, man. Like, Billy is two heads above you. Like, no matter if he's dipping into the tackle or not, you've got to get down to at least below his chest if you're not going to get done. You hit him straight in the face and... You can't argue. But anyway, looking to his centre counterpart, sure, we only needed one centre out there because he was a man possessed. Henshaw was unbelievable, like outrageous. Just It's every time we play England as well. 
he just plays out of his skin. He just is so up for it. Like he just showed the experience and the new that he had on Ollie Lawrence really came to the fore and and came came good for him, I suppose. He was getting over the gain line every time. He was making dominant hits on Ford, uh, dominant hits on Daly, just smashing lads, like driving them back. Little offload when he was going into touch, like just such good decision making as well. Everything he touched went well, like, and justly he got man of the match. But then, like, you look across the back line, like, you have Hugo Keenan. Hugo Keenan, it was like watching the second coming of 2009 Lions Tour, Rob Carney. Like, just they were launching balls up in the air, and Keenan was taking them no problem. Like, in the lead up for that Conan try, when Sexton skied it, and he had no right, Keenan had no right to take that ball. He gets up over, was it Johnny May, left wing, and wins it. And yeah, just a relentless stuff. Poor old Jacob Stockdale kind of didn't get many opportunities. He looked a little bit nervous, probably because he's just back into the side and he's trying to make a point. He looked like every time he got the ball, he wanted to score a try or do something ridiculous, whereas he probably would have been better off just doing the basics really, really well um, because that's what James Lowe hasn't been doing the last few weeks. He hasn't been doing the basics, making his tackles. And then for the England try... For Youngs, like when they went down the short side and George gave the little pop pass and he, like even when he didn't have the ball, he was trying to score Stockdale. He bites in and tries to get the intercept and then they score. I think, to be honest, he probably needed to bite in on George because it looked like George was getting outside Herring. Herring gave him a look afterwards as if to say like, what the hell? Tackle one of them at least, but sure, that's a forward looking at a back, I suppose. And he's not going to understand that. If Stockdale catches that ball, runs the length of, length of the field and scores under the post, game over immediately. And we were after going down 14 men there as well, 15 minutes left. Like he was probably thinking, yeah, I'm going to win it for us and I'll have nailed on my starting position again. So you, you can't knock him because of that. In the pack then, as usual, they were all immense against England. They're just, there's like a real rivalry goes on between the Irish and the English pack. And it was just like two massive packs going hammer and tongs at each other. The scrums at the start, like you could see Sinclair and uh, Kilcoyne rubbing the heads together and then Kilcoyne gets the upper hand and then you're kind of saying, right, this could be a good day, I think. Poor old Kilcoyne then got got um, the head knock and he was off and he was he was knocked out. He, that guy had to get him off the field, get him on the stretcher, get him off the field like for his own safety. But he's always picked against England, like it's gas. He must just love getting up for that game. And he was going well until that happened. But you don't lose anything by bringing on Keane Healy either. Like he's had a really good championship. Another one that'll probably go on the Lions tour. And then what a send off for CJ. Like and his interview afterwards, like tell me that fella is an Irish. Like tell me he's not playing for that for those boys for that jersey. Like yeah, just gives us all every time. Like there was one stage, I think it was. Was it Billy Vonapola and Curry and potentially Ford or Farrell and Treed and went to tackle him at once and he like ran in and he came off the better of the out of everybody that was in the contact and then it showed his face afterwards and he just loves it like he loves the contact and another man that loves the contact Tyke Furlong taking ball from everywhere and just running straight into lads just you're meant to look look for a weak shoulder tiger or a weak arm and go through the gap not just run square at bodies but that's what he was doing he took it real personal as they say at the weekend nailed on starter for the lions hopefully he stays fit 
And then Jack Conan, like lots of questions about him getting the the nod for the weekend. I was I was one of them. I was like, I don't know what the story is with that, but like silence all the critics. So he did great try, took it expertly, like one opportunity, picks and goes over in the corner, and he set up the earliest try as well. And then he carried very well around the field. And another person we have to mention is Tyg Byrne, who you'd also say is probably nailed on to, to start for the Lions. He got 10 turnovers in the tournament in five games. So averaging two a game is fairly decent like um, for anyone. He's just so fit. He gets around the field and he gets to every, every literally every breakdown, he's there. Whether you're, it's your own breakdown or it's an opposition one, he's in there disrupting it. It, it was strange watching how Ireland were getting the upper hand so much. And I thought personally that it was down to um, England's style of defence. So the last few times that we've played them, they've played that style where they just leave the rocks, come up really fast and uh, try and hit behind the game line, make that dominant tackle. But this time out, they were doing that again. But Ireland's ball was so quick from the rook that the defence was almost set but Ireland were carrying so hard and at such good angles and their setup was way quicker and way uh, way better defined than usual that they were getting over the game line every time. And then because England weren't slowing down the rucks at all, it just kept carrying forward from each phase to each phase and Ireland just kept getting momentum, momentum, momentum. And then England's defence becomes more and more disjointed as they're going backwards and they just couldn't get back into the game. Like they got those two tries at the end, Youngs and May, but uh, they never really looked like they were going to come back into it and challenge. But it wasn't all bad as well. Like, And the English rugby writers will probably do the same that the Irish rugby writers, and they'll probably say that Jones has to go and all this crap. I thought Tom Curry was immense. Like, um, He was everywhere, making tons of hits. I thought Elliot Daly finally is getting back to his best, and he was set to start at 13, and I didn't think it was going to be a good day for him facing up against Henshaw. But uh, Malin's pulled out, obviously, and he went back to full back and he had a couple of decent carries. And then when May got that, uh, I know it's a side show and it's not crucial and integral to everything that happened. But when May got that uh, try at the end and Daly just knocks over the drop goal from the sideline, like I don't think people realise how hard that is to do, especially after 79 minutes of rugby. And none of the commentators said a thing. Like, they're just, like, ignoring it. I was like, Jesus, has anybody seen what he just did there? That was unbelievable. But, yeah, like, there was a few English players that went okay. But when you're on the back foot and you're giving away that many penalties, it's it's never going to be easy. And, unfortunately, some lads probably played their way out of Lions positions. Um, and Lions places at the weekend but it was that's what the game was it was playing for Lions places and Ireland got the upper hand there there will be a lot of English players on the Lions tour anyway because they have some really good individual players but they probably need to freshen up that setup a little bit poor old Ollie Lawrence he was just a little bit out of his depth and he's only 21 like so it's understandable Jamie George actually when he come on wasn't bad and he hasn't been great for the rest of the championship. So that was good to see. And I reckon he probably will still go on the lines. Like I reckon Gatland likes him and he's a very good player. I had initially thought that Cowan Dickey might go as well, but now I probably, I probably don't think so. Just given the size of the South African pack as well. And then when you're not playing as well on form, then Gatland's probably unlikely to pick him. Yeah. In terms of that game, that's probably it. Like that just fantastic win. 
happy for them all and um, good to get back to winning ways. And I, I wouldn't even say a mixed bag for the tournament for Ireland, like because the red card against Wales obviously kind of made it very, very difficult uh, to win the game. But if you're looking on the performance over the outcome of that game, it was quite good. And we were against a very good France side at home as well in the game that we lost. So if you're looking at performances over the championship, I would say pretty promising, to be honest. And shove your negativity up your arses, I suppose, on the on the major news broadcasters. So moving on to the last game, which was, oh, thank God they left it for last because it was a doozy. First 20 minutes, it was like, when are they going to stop? Like, when's the ball going to go out of play? It was just try, 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 try. Rugby being played of the highest quality, like, real joy to behold. And it seems like that's the way in most France games uh, at the moment. So going to keep watching them and we'll all look forward to next week against Scotland with the championship on the line. Jeez, Antoine Dupont just... He just anticipates the game better than anybody. He drives that French pack around and he got that try on a cheat line again. And those cheat lines that he runs, like if you're running them as a nine, a lot of the time you won't get the ball, but he just seems to pick the right moment all the time to run it. And he, again and again, he gets the ball and he scores. I think he got three tries in the tournament. Like, so fair play to him. Like he's, I would say he definitely he's the best nine in the world at the moment. As well as that for France, you had Fiku had a fantastic game and Dulan as well. Magnifique, some might, might say. <laughs> All around the park, really good players for France and their brilliance kind of shines through in the second half of games as opposed to last week against England where they were crap in the second half. But like Wales, just that was a real arm wrestle in the first half and the Welsh side's commitment is just ridiculous. It's second to none. Like, they're all competitors. Like, you saw Bigger driving over in tight for his try. Liam Williams was getting in amongst it as well. And we'll talk more about the criticism of him afterwards, but a bit ridiculous on that front. And then, like, you have Navidi, you have Tiprick, you have Faletau, and they're just not afraid to mix things up and Ken Owens and get in and carry and make the hard yards and... Like France were getting set and they were leaving the rooks and trying to make those dominant tackles behind the game line as well with numbers up. But even though they were set, Wales were still making ground because they were employing that tactic that's become really uh, popular of late, which is two and three man carries. So where you have the latch on, like I think back in the day, they used to call it a truck and trailer or whatever. Or sometimes even you see the guy that's supporting the ball carrier will tackle the tackler. So like the player, the French player that's tackling the Welsh player with the ball, one of the Welsh lads will just tackle him then off that and, and try and drive them back and get a front football and gain momentum. And it, it works like they, they stayed in the game and they were up until the second half, um, late in the second half. Yeah, it was uh, it was a hard one for Luke Pierce to ref really and not come off the bad guy to someone, you know, like anytime you're going to the to the TMO that many times, people are going to criticise your decisions. But I thought he handled the game really, really well, to be honest, as a whole. The Reese Zama try that he ruled out, definite no try. The only question was probably the Josh Adams try, whereas on the video, it seemed like it didn't touch the floor. But Luke Pierce is down there right next to the ball. Like the rest of us are at home in our sitting room. So you've got to give the referee benefit of the doubt there. And if he thinks that uh, Adams has got that down and he asks up, is there any clear reason I can't award the try? Then 
it's a try because he perceives that Josh Adams has scored and he's the man in charge. So, yeah, I don't think there was much argument there, really. Then we had just TMO call after TMO call. And it seemed like any time anyone went for the line, there was like six players just swarmed around them and tried to hold them up. And it just, it showed how much both teams wanted it and how much both teams were fighting. Yeah, like Wales covered the fence and their work rate as a whole was just phenomenal. They almost held them out, I suppose, uh, up until the end. Like it seemed like they were going to get away with it, even though it didn't seem like they were the better team. And it did come back to a little bit of slightly cynical play, I suppose. Um, And as I said, they are the masters of the dark arts. Like they're falling all over the ball and they're doing it on purpose. And you could see anytime Alan Wynn Jones got in close to the ruck, the French players just tried to get him out of there as soon as possible. And the more and more that happened and the more and more cynical play, Luke Pierce wasn't afraid to send him to the bin and he was he was completely justified to do so. But the other question is like any team, if you're in that scenario, are you not doing the same, like trying to slow down the clock, especially if you're down to 13 men or whatever against 14? Like if you're down to 13 men, then you're going to try and waste the seconds away going into the scrum and that was when it was most apparent was going into that scrum under the post on about 75 minutes and all the Welsh players kept looking up at the clock and then they were like taking their time making their mark and getting in getting set and then grabbing the jerseys and getting their bind ready and I'd say they up about two minutes and then Luke Pierce kind of lost his patience a little bit and then when France scored that try that was the olive on try and they were going back to halfway they they landed up halfway about 30 seconds before the Welsh boys walked up, but like again, like are you not going to do that as well if you're, um, if you're winning and you probably are on the back foot and you've no chance of getting a try, you probably are. But like France, then they just they're so loose. They just love chucking it around when there's like a minute left and back in their skills. Like Julan and Fiku, Peno, all of them. Like it was great to watch. Happy Intermac came back into the side and played well. But like, yeah, offloads galore with like nothing left on the clock. And it almost came to bite them in the arse when they lost the possession with a minute left. And then one of the Welsh boys goes off his feet at the ruck and he was sealing off and they were slowing the clock down there. Luke Pierce had said use it on that ruck and he probably could have even gave a scrum to France at that stage because they hadn't. But he made the right decision to give France the penalty and they kicked to the corner, come back up and Julian scores. And like, there wasn't much that Wales could do. Like they gave it their all to keep them out with numbers down. And in the end, France just had an overlap. And of course they were going to have an overlap, like because Wales were forced into defending narrow because they had only 13 men on the field. So Julian gets over in the corner and it probably was the just reward for the better team. And he had a great game as well. Like Julian, like, like he gets the ball behind his line in the second half at one stage. And there's not many players that are going to look up when you get behind your line from them kicking it through and say, yeah, I'm, I'll have this. I'm going to have a run. And he runs it out and he nearly gets out of 22. Like it was just superb to watch. But yeah, they're going to be a team to to watch in the future and a team that are going to probably go well at the World Cup in a few years. But then the last point on the Welsh game is the whole Liam Williams stuff. And like, the criticism of him, him online is just really moronic. Like, no game is ever lost or won on one moment. It's an accumulation of moments. And one moment 
Liam Williams think he's, thinks he's onside. Like he probably genuinely looked like he he thought he was onside, and he goes to tackle uh, Saran at that stage, the nine, and slaps the ball out, and he gets a yellow card. But like what I don't understand is Sherfalate was already after getting a yellow card. So why are people just blaming Liam Williams? Like, what the hell is this about? And as myself and Elliot said in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, the lads that are sending the this shit to Liam Williams, like these are lads that played under 12s fucking C team and think they know something about rugby. Like, you have a fucking clue, mate. Keep your opinion to yourself. Like, might be rich coming from me, the fellow with the podcast, but like. I'm always trying to bring some sort of positivity with this. And I just think singling out players like that and actually tagging them on Twitter so that he sees it. Like, why do you need to do that even? Like, if you think he had a bad game, whatever, say you think he had a bad game or he could have done better, but don't just hurl abuse at him and tag him in it. Like, as if he's going to message you about, oh yeah, appreciate for the, appreciate the the, uh, constructive criticism, mate. Like, you're an idiot. But look, to move away from the negativity, as we said, because we don't want to dwell on it too much, what I said might be useful is to go through my picks for the Lions uh, so far. Now, I did pick most of this team last week before this final weekend, so there may be some slight changes in it. But as a whole, I think most of it's fairly nailed on. But sure, what the fuck would I know, as I usually say, you know, it's up to Warren Gatland anyway. He might pick fucking 36 Welshmen for all we know. So, yeah, I think I start... In the front row, I suppose. Um, I think Loosehead, pretty competitive. I was looking initially at Healy, uh, Makovonopola, and I thought Ellis Gendt would get in as the third Loosehead, but going by last week now, I'd say it'll probably be Wynn Jones. Genji came on, and he, he might even get cited for what went on at the bottom of a rook. And with Wales going so so well, like and Wynn Jones playing well as well, he'd probably be justified to go in there. A hooker, I'd say Ken Owens is probably nailed on to start. He's had a really good tournament. I reckon Jamie George might get in there, as I said, because of Gatland likes him as a player. And I was going for Cowan Dickey before, but now I think it'll probably be Turner from um, Scotland. George Turner, a decent player as well. Funnily enough, both Owens and Turner have uh, played in the back row before. So if somebody gets injured, which is crucial on the Lions tour, the boys will be able to jump in there. Um, which might be an asset to have. Then at Tighead, as we all know, Tyke Furlong's going to be there, probably followed by Kyle Sinclair, who was on the last one, and then Thomas Francis from Wales. So no real surprises there in the front row. Second rows, I'd probably go with Toje, Alwyn Jones, um, James Ryan, if he's fit, and Johnny Gray. And then you have Byrne, Tyke Byrne at six, who can cover second row as well. So yeah, I reckon he, like their bases are covered at second row there and they're all world-class players. So makes it for a good setup. Then at six, I think, as I said, Byrne will go. And I think the other position is up for grabs between two Irishmen. I think it's between probably Stander, who probably has the benefit of the doubt because he covers eight as well. And O'Mahony, who they say covers six or seven, but he hasn't been playing uh, too much lately in the last couple of games for Ireland. So what he would go for is the line out and he's, He's one of the best line-out jumpers out around, so like that would be a decent reason to go, and you couldn't really argue either. Then at seven, I would say it'll probably be Tom Curry, who I thought was immense. Justin Tiberick, who was equally immense against France, putting in a lovely little grubber through for that Adams try, and Hamish Watson going as a third seven. So then you have six and seven covered with all those players. Potentially won't bring that many, but we'll see. Then at eight, I reckon this is my... 
out of uh, left field uh, hot take, I reckon Sam Simmons might go at eight. Um, I reckon Falatau will definitely go at eight, but I think Simmons will go alongside him. I think it'll be kind of like, like he's been go, he's probably the form eight in the Northern Hemisphere and he hasn't been playing for his country, but like, do you care really? Probably not. And then Billy Vonapola hasn't shown enough in the championship to warrant going in terms of how he's playing and then attitude at times as well. So uh, yeah, that's who I'd pick in the pack. Uh, as I said, Standard might go as a six slash eight too, but they'll probably only bring two true eights. So yeah, uh, I think as well, Standard would be very good to go in terms of his last hurrah. And it's and it's against South Africa as well, the team that told him that he was too small. So he might be a good pick there. Um, then at nine, Conor Murray probably go. Gatland loves him. Ben Young's as well, worked with Gat- Gatlin before. And then the third place is up for grabs between Ali Price, Garrett Davies, and even Kieran Hardy could go in like he had a, he had a good tournament too. Um, I personally would probably bring Ali Price, but you don't, there's not too much of a difference between bringing Price and bringing Garrett Davies. So if it comes down to the decision, Gatlin will probably go for the Welshman that he's worked with before and Davies would be that man. So you couldn't really argue. At 10, then I'd say Sexton will go at 10. I think Farrell will go, but I would say he'll go at more as more of a 12. He might end up playing 10, but he'll go as a 12 just so Gatlin has the opportunity to bring one more 10 with him, whether that's going to be George Ford, Finn Russell or Callum Sheedy or Dan Bigger. It's kind of up in the air. There's pros and cons for all of them. If you're going based on form, I'd actually probably pick Sheedy. However, Sheedy doesn't have the experience, so he might may not go. Ford has had a decent championship, so uh, and he works well with Farrell. But against South Africa, he's probably not defensively astute enough to handle big men running at him all day. Likewise with Russell. Like Russell might be good in if there are warm-up games, in the warm-up games. He might be a decent player to bring in and uh, increase the intensity off the bench. But yeah, his consistency hasn't been great um, over the course of the tournament. So that could go against him. At 12, I'd say Henshaw definitely going to go. Potentially Davies will go as well. More as a 13, I would say, but he does cover 12. He's been playing there for Wales. And then you have Ringrose and Slade, I reckon. As I said, if Manitou Laggy is fit, He'll be thrown into that mix, but he probably isn't going to be fit. Um, but sure, who might say that? You know, the wings is really, really competitive. Uh, I don't think Keaters is going to get a shot even after the performance of the weekend. He is Mr. Consistency, but he's probably missing that point of difference. And if you're going for point of difference, you're going to go resamed for pace, you're going to go probably with Van der Merva for uh size, Adams for a combination of the two, and then Johnny May and Watson. It's probably between the two of them for the fourth position. Probably leaning more towards Watson as he covers fullback as well. And if you have Reese Samet in there uh, in terms of pace, then it might be difficult to warrant putting May in there as well. Fullback then, who I'd be picking as captain because he's nailed on. Nobody's going to take his position if he's fit. Stuart Hogg and then Lee Williams as well at 15 for me. Hugo Keenan has done himself Lots of favours over the course of the tournament playing well, but potentially going by experience, it'd be tough to put him in there. But again, you couldn't argue if he was put in instead of Williams. But yeah, that's it. That's what I pick. It's probably typically an actual English-Welsh dominated side with just slightly less Irish players and then a few Scots. But I think it's a decent enough 
side. But sure, as I said, sure, none of those players might get picked. It could be a load of Welsh boys. It could be a lot of Irish boys. It could be a load of English boys. It's all up to Gatland, I suppose. But regardless, I think the Lions are going to be in a good place going uh, facing South Africa and they could come away with a serious victory, especially if it's the first ever home tour as such, if you could call it a tour. But yeah, that's it for this week. Um, potentially we'll have another one the weekend after the Scotland-France game. That one will be short, I promise. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week, hopefully.